As we attend to the voice of God in Scripture, let us pray. Holy Lord, send your Spirit upon us that we may hear with joy and receive with wisdom what you are saying to your church this day. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Our scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the number one things I learned about preaching while in seminary, besides thou shalt not bore the people, (laughs) was to ask first of any scripture passage, how is this scripture first and foremost about God? What do we learn about who God is and what God is up to from this particular passage? Long before any given scripture passage is about us human beings, those of us reading or hearing a text, a passage of scripture is about God. And that's what makes it scripture. Even when it doesn't seem to appear to be about God on the surface, we are still to look for God. Consider these words from the book of Proverbs. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. None of these proverbs outright mentions God. There are plenty of proverbs which do. But before we can apply these teachings to ourselves, we have to ask, Who is the God who stands behind the Scripture, whose voice we hear through the reading and hearing of Scripture? Answering these questions helps us not only give context to the teachings of the Bible, but first and foremost to set the stage for an encounter with the living God, who is the source of wisdom and understanding, the purveyor of mercy and justice, the enabler of upright living and reconciliation. God is relational and seeks to restore broken relationships through divine love. Long before we look to such passages from Proverbs to discern how we should live and what we should do, we are to discover and to be discovered by the God who radiates forth through the words of Scripture. 
With that said, we turn to our passage today from Matthew. It's a story that is told in one way or another by all four gospel writers. It is the baptism of Jesus. If we were to read this passage with the question, what should I do? On our lips, we might most likely say, well, I too should be baptized. If Jesus did it, then I should too. After all, the bracelet on my wrist that says WWJD, what would Jesus do, prompts me to ask, what is it Jesus would have me do? Well, he'd see the water, he'd see John the baptizer standing there, and he'd think, what a lovely day for a swim. Already we've gotten ahead of ourselves. If our passage had included Jesus' first sermon, you know that sermon he preached right after baptism, he went out to the people and he said, repent, believe in the good news for the kingdom of God has drawn near. If we heard that, we'd know what to do, right? Repent, believe. But even when the scriptures outright don't seem to tell us what we should be doing, if we repented and believed and were baptized without knowing who the God is who calls us, calls us to faithful transformation and commitment, then we'd be like those eager new shoots that spring up so boisterously from the seeds that were strewn on the path. And then we might die out too quickly like they. Unless our response to the call to faith is rooted in the identity of God, then all our efforts are as noisy gongs and sounding brass. Now, now let's listen to Jesus' baptism story and see if we can name the God who hovers over the waters like as of old in the beginning. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan at, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be done so now, for it is proper in this way to fulfill all righteousness. All right, we're going to stop there for a moment. Have you heard God mentioned yet? The Lord, Jehovah, Jireh, Elroy, Sabaot, maybe? No? Well, God is there. God who is more than an absentee, God of the gaps. God is there. Even though God hasn't been mentioned, God is there. We need to look at why John is baptizing in the first place. He's out there preparing the way of the Lord as it says earlier in the chapter. John is calling the people, too, to repent, for coming near is the kingdom of... There you go. All right. Drawing near is the kingdom of God. God whose kingdom... God. This is the God who simply is. And John prepares his little corner of the world for the coming of the Lord God, Jehovah Jireh, El Shaddai, El Yonah Adonai. And who is this God? This is the God who is encountered throughout the entirety of Scripture, the creator, the lawgiver, the liberator, the one who calls individuals and nations to a holy way of living, the God who woos the soul like an amorous lover, the God who is jealous for the people, 
the God who has redeemed that same people, the God who lets the people experience the full consequences of their actions, and yet time and again God sets things right. This is the God who fulfills all righteousness, from whom all righteousness flows. Mercy abounds with this God. This is the God who is powerful to save and to make whole. This is the Lord who shepherds the lost and revives the people as if they were a field of dry bones in need of flesh and breath. This is the God who hovers over the waters with that same holy breath and makes order out of life-depriving chaos. This is the great I am. And John is out there in the desert saying, here comes the Lord. And in walks Jesus. Jesus shows up. We hear about it in this way. Jesus shows up to be baptized. The Lord showed up in baptism for baptism. And then John consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God showed up. God who is the one who opened the heavens. God is the one who descended like a dove alighting on Jesus. God is the one who speaks, this is my son, the beloved. And as we were told earlier in Matthew, God had already showed up in Jesus. At his birth, he is called Yeshua from birth, salvation. And he is called Emmanuel, God with us. This passage from Matthew is all about God. And not just a little snapshot of God. This is the entirety of the God whom we get to know throughout all of our scriptural witness. This is epiphany. It means God showing up. It means God making God's self manifest so that the world might see, hear, and know. And why has God shown up? To set things right. To, God, to, to call God's people to a holy way of life in relationship with God, the God who loves us so much that this, that this God is willing to come into the world and not only teach us to love, but enable us to do so. This is the God who called Jesus beloved. Such a different story from the story of the prodigal son we hear about. This prodigal son who begins his wayward journey, cursing his father, clinging so tightly to his ill-begotten booty of an inheritance, predestined to live the way of a wastrel. Jesus, though, voluntarily comes into this world, not grasping his inheritance, but emptying himself of his equality with God, so that he might begin his way-making journey. As the old song goes, Jesus, he's the way-maker. Jesus, he's the way-maker. Jesus, he's the way-maker. He made a way for you and me. This is how God shows up, why we celebrate Epiphany, 
why we celebrate Jesus' baptism, because without Jesus, we see as though through a glass darkly. But with Jesus, the dawn of our salvation has come, and we see God face to face. And what does this God require of us? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, this text is about us. Jesus, who was called beloved, calls us beloved. And when did we hear about this? At the end of Jesus' way-making journey. At the end of the story, it seems like, at the table he shared with his friends, a table to which we will be soon invited, come to the feast, beloved we shall hear. So what benefit is it to be called God's beloved? As the sermon title says, and I'll have to acknowledge that earlier this week, when we turned the sermon titles in way ahead of time, right? Dr. Avram read the title and he says, oh, are you going to talk about Henry Nouwen's book, uh, The Life of the Beloved? And I thought, hmm, mm, yeah, maybe. So uh, I went and had to go read that book. Henri Nouwen, or Henry Nouwen, was a Dutch priest who spent the remainder of much of his second half of his life caring for those with special needs, adults with special needs, in a community lifestyle living in uh, Canada. He wrote throughout his life uh, many, many books, but one is The Life of the Beloved. And here are Henry's words. To be chosen as the beloved of God is something radically different from what the world has to offer. Instead of excluding others, it includes others. Instead of rejecting others as less valuable, it accepts others in their own uniqueness. It is not a competitive, but a compassionate choice. Our minds have great difficulty in coming to grips with such a reality. Maybe our minds will never understand it. Perhaps it is only our hearts that will ever accomplish this. When we claim and consistently reclaim the truth of being beloved, we soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal to others their own chosenness. Instead of making us feel that we are better, more precious, or valuable than others, our awareness of being chosen opens our eyes to the chosenness of others. This is the great joy of being chosen, the discovery that others are chosen as well, and in the house of God there are many mansions, and there is a place for everyone. Every time you listen with great attentiveness, to the voice that calls you beloved, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. It is like discovering a well in the desert. Once you have touched wet ground, you want to dig deeper. So says Henry. Our passage from Matthew today is about God first and foremost, and thanks be to God that it is. The scripture too is about Jesus, and therefore it is about God, the God who sends the Son into the world to achieve through him God's own loving ends. And when we overhear this proclamation, you are my beloved, we cannot help 
but hear it for ourselves. And we seek, as Henry Nouwen says, to claim this status of beloved so that the world benefits from the radiance of God's love that shines through us. On Jesus' way-making journey, he prepared a meal for us. In this meal, we sit at table with God, who nourishes us through the life-giving spirit. We feed on Yeshua, salvation, Jesus himself, that which makes us whole. We are sent into the world not as misers, grasping desperately the crumbs from the feast, hoarding what little we have. No, we are sent into the world, not as sluggards sent to observe the ants. No, we go forth well supplied and nourished for the journey, amply able to share the benefits of this divine encounter with a famished world. We go, beloved, as beloved. We come, beloved, as beloved. Thanks be to God. Amen.